Let's start with John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word has no beginning and it has no end. He was with God at the beginning, and by him all things were created, and without him nothing was created. God spoke the word, and all of these heavens and earth and humans and animals and things came into existence. They were created from nothing. If you're going to build a house, you go out and you get materials. But with God... He just spoke, and everything was created. Everything appeared by the Word, who is Jesus. Jesus came to the earth for a short period of time in the form of a man. He had to come to earth as a man to die for our sins. He was created a little lower than the angels for this purpose of dying for our sins. I'm quoting from Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus gave up his position in heaven. He gave up everything to come to earth to suffer for us so we could be saved through him. This was the story of the creation from the beginning. Today, Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. That's in Romans chapter 8. Where did the church begin, the New Testament church? How did it start? The New Testament church could not begin until Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Because through him and through his death 
through his resurrection, through his blood, do we belong to God today as the New Testament church. When Jesus walked on the earth, he selected 12 men to be his apostles, to follow him, to be his disciples. One of those men was Judas, who betrayed Jesus. After Jesus was resurrected into heaven, Peter called the church together and said they had to select someone to take the place of Judas. And they said, God knows the heart of all men. So they chose two men and drew lots to see which one would replace Judas as an apostle, as the twelfth apostle. We read about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 26. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So Matthias became the twelfth apostle. What about Paul? How did we get Paul? How do we get the ministers today who are given for our edification in things of God? As they were selecting Matthias, Paul, surnamed Saul, was busy persecuting the followers of Jesus. From heaven, Jesus called Paul and spoke to Paul, causing Paul to become an apostle. Paul tells us this story in Acts 26 as he testified before King Agrippa. Starting at verse 9, Paul says, I verily thought with myself, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick 
against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. This is exactly the same as every calling of God for every minister to the New Testament church. I used to wonder about this long before I was even a Christian, as people would say they were called to the ministry. And I thought, well, what does that mean? How are they called to the ministry? I don't understand this. When I was 15, I went forward at my aunt's church, which she attended, Church of Christ, and was baptized in water because I did not want to go to hell, and I thought that's what they said we needed to do to keep from going to hell, be baptized in water. But my life didn't change at all. I was about 15, and I pursued all of my own desires and ambitions. When I was approximately 38 years old, One night I was reading a book about sin and God spoke to me by his spirit and said, Joan, you know all these mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I was shocked. I gasped. Sins? I thought they were mistakes. I was born again. Now, I thought that book caused me to be born again. So I went out after I was born again and bought dozens of copies of that book and gave it to my friends and relatives, thinking that would cause them to be born again. Of course, salvation is of God. And God calls us where we are in the way he chooses and adds us to the church himself as his chosen. And throughout the New Testament Bible, we, the church, are called the saints of God. It's totally different from the way man establishes the people who are going to be saints. God calls us as he wills and sets us into the body of Christ as he wills. It's not by the flesh of man or our own desire or what we do. It is done by God, by His Spirit, that we are added to the church. So like the Apostle Paul, we today who belong to God have been called by God and added to the church by God from heaven, by His Spirit. Continuing Paul's report to King Agrippa. So Jesus said to Paul, 
Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then Paul said to Agrippa, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So many churches today misteach this about the apostles, the saying, Paul was the last apostle, and that there are no more apostles. They completely omit Ephesians chapter 4, which tells us exactly how Jesus set up the church from heaven after he was resurrected into heaven. Start at verse 8. When he, Jesus, ascended up on high into heaven, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He gave these ministers to the church from heaven, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And notice it says some apostles, not just one, some, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. From heaven, Jesus called those who, who are to be ministers to set each of his ministers into the church as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Men came along and established their own denominations and set up their own ministers and called them things like vicars. That's an English term for pastor. They called themselves pope, archbishop, cardinal. They dressed their ministers in long garbs to identify them They gave them different forms of garments so that you would know which was the highest minister and which was a lower-level minister. And they wore strange hats. None of these things are in the Bible. We know the ministers of God because of what they say and they do. We recognize them when we are born again. They don't wear clothing to identify themselves as ministers of God. They don't wear crosses and chains around their necks 
and medallions to say, I am a minister. They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And all of the real church are called by God, just like the ministers are called by God. And they are set in the church by God. If we read Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we see this. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And God equips us for the work to which we are called. And he equips us in his way. Shortly after I was born again, I was asleep in the night when I was transported into heaven. I was with God, I was with Christ, I was with the Holy Spirit. I saw no images. It was a spiritual experience. At that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus, God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. I was made one with the Word of God. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me again. I didn't know why this happened. I thought at the time that this happened to all people who were Christians. I had a young friend who was 10 years younger than I. He was raised Catholic, and then he was born again, and then he went to some non-denominational church. Bill was always talking about how wonderful it was to be a Christian. I thought he was crazy because at that time, I hadn't been born again. But after I was born again and transported into heaven twice, I said to Bill, Bill, you are right. This thing of being born again is wonderful. The thing I like best about it is that thing that happens to you in the night. And Bill said, what thing? And I said, well, I don't know what it's called. It's when you're taken into heaven and you're with God and you're with Jesus. And you're with the Holy Spirit and you are merged into the body of Jesus. But I don't know what it's called. And Bill said, what are you talking about? That's the first moment that I realized this didn't happen to every person who was a Christian. At the time, I was reading a book called Exodus. And the author said, sometimes when you are called for some type of work of God, he will give you an unusual experience. I don't know that I thought a lot about it, but it probably affected me. And from time to time, I suppose I thought about this thing of being taken into heaven twice, although I never told anybody. I went to a prayer group, and I hadn't told them this was happening. I went to a church, and I know I never told anybody at that church about being taken into heaven twice, but things began to happen with me. I was at the prayer group one day, and the women were praying about something, and I heard, look up. 
and I raised my head and looked up, and on the wall, I saw the outline of a body part. And I said to God, I know that is a part of the human body, but I don't know which one. And I heard the word stomach, and I said, oh, yeah, that's a stomach. I remember the old Pepto-Bismol commercials where there was an outline of a stomach. So after the women quit praying, I said, does someone have a stomach problem? One woman said, I do, I do. Well, it was so, all so new to me. I, I don't know, I guess they prayed for her or something. And I assumed she was healed. But I was so interested in the way God was communicating with me and what he was teaching me that I really didn't pay any attention to her. Since that time, often I have had images like on a solid wall, a vision of something happening. God does as he wills with us. This would not happen necessarily to you. He may choose to do this to with you or something totally different. But it's all one of the spiritual gifts. It's a word of knowledge or word of wisdom. In that case at the prayer group, I think it was a word of uh, knowledge that this was going on. I had a young friend who had ALS. He was 44 at the time and married and had two young children. His church group was praying for him to be healed. God gave me one of these open visions about David. He was totally paralyzed at the time God gave me this vision. I saw David on a golf course, and he was totally whole, and he was jumping up and down, so happy, and he was waving like, come on, come on and join me. This is wonderful. I told this to a young man in David's church group. Clay said, don't you think that's showing that David's going to be healed? And I said, no, no, David's dying. It shows that he's dying, but he's all right spiritually. That's what it shows. David died a few days after I had that vision. I wrote out the vision and sent it to his wife. He, they live 600 miles from me. I sent it to his wife and suggested she have it read at the funeral service. I also sent copies of it for his son and daughter, believing it would comfort them. There are spiritual gifts, and God gives them to individuals in the church as he wills, and they are for the church to comfort or help the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, start at verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. 
But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as God wills. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, the Apostle Paul said concerning the gathering of the church, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together? Every one of you hath a tongue, hath a doctrine, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, hath a psalm. By the way, psalms are also prayers. You might have a, a psalm that you sing, but you might have a prayer. Let all things be done unto edifying. That's the main thing about the church. All things in the gathering of the church should be done unto edifying. The way it was set up here in 1 Corinthians 14 is that the Holy Spirit was free to speak through whom he willed, not just an organized service. But the Holy Spirit could speak through whomever he willed in the gathering of the church. Sometimes we see that type of setup in a Sunday school class, but I have never seen it in a church service. I've never seen it where the Holy Spirit was free to speak through the members of the congregation as he willed. I attended Word of Faith Church in Dallas for a few years. At our Bible class on Sunday morning, our teacher always said, Does anyone have a word from the Lord? And we were free to give that word if we had heard something. But it was never free during the 11 o'clock service, the main service. There was never a freedom like that. But I've seen it in Sunday school class. There used to be a service on Wednesday nights where people gave testimonies of things God had done for them that week. And that was so exciting. I don't know that any of those services still exist, but that's more in keeping with what Paul said we were supposed to do when we come together as the church. It's very different now. It's more like a performance that's planned ahead by man. There was a time I had a dream. God gave me a dream about a big church gathering, and I went in, and it was a two-story church building, and it was filled with people. I went up to the balcony and sat down in the one chair that was vacant, The woman in front of me turned around and said, you can't see much from that chair because there was a pillar right in front of it. And she says, you can't see much from that chair. And I said, oh, there's never much to see at these places anyway. 
Unfortunately, that is the truth. Because today's church is planned by man, and very often the ministers aren't even called of God. They've gone to a Bible college and have graduated, but not called of God, not even born again. So we have some real problems in the church, enormous problems. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Before Jesus could return for the church, to take the church out, before he can return, there had to come first a falling away and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. In 1982, I was reading this passage of Scripture, and God said to me, the falling away, that's not people leaving the church. That's the church is leaving the Scriptures. In approximately 2015, God said to me the word restraint and I knew that was in a scripture, and I found it in the same passage of scripture here, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, but in the New American Standard Bible. In verse 6 of the NASB, we read, And you know what restrains him now, what restrains Antichrist, that which is keeping Antichrist back from the church away from the church. And I said to God when I read that, what restrains him? And instantly my eyes were open to see. I knew the thing that restrained Antichrist, kept him back from the church, were the scriptures, the word of God. When they removed the word of God, Antichrist could move into the church. When they removed it in part, when they changed it just in part, just one verse even, let the Antichrist in. So in the NASB, verse 6, and you know what restrains Antichrist now, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is removed. He who now restrains, the word of God, Jesus, is the word of God that restrained Antichrist and kept him out. The scriptures, the holy scriptures. But as soon as they removed the scriptures, then the lawless one was revealed and moved into the churches. And it had to happen before Jesus returned. I used to wonder about it because I'd hear preachers teaching things that were against the scriptures, opposite to the scriptures. And I would think, well, how can this be? I would go to those preachers and I would ask them where it was in the Bible that they spoke at their service. 
And twice, the preacher said exactly the same thing to me. I can't remember where it is. So I said, well, it's very important to me to know this, so would you please look it up and tell your secretary where it is in the Bible, that which you taught, and have her call me and tell me where it is in the Bible. In two instances, the preachers did exactly the same thing. They got very, very quiet, and then they started screaming at me over the phone. And both of them said the same thing. All right, it's not in the Bible. Both of those preachers knew the thing that they were teaching was not in the Bible, yet they were presenting it as being in the Bible. Antichrist. Antichrist does not repent. And that explained to me why there was no sorrow when they, when they knew they were teaching the wrong thing. Why there was no sorrow. Why there was no repentance. With all of this information, I was helped a great deal because I was so grieved over that which I was seeing when I tried to find a church to attend. And it explained to me what was going on in the period of time where we are living and why the preachers teach something different from the Bible. And they know they're doing it. It's because they are Antichrist, opposite to Christ, opposite to Bible, opposite to the Word of God. And they will not repent. Even with the plagues of the Great Tribulation, they cursed God over the heat in one of the plagues, but they did not repent. Revelation 16 tells us this not repenting. And also Revelation 9 tells us they will not repent. The only thing we can do is separate ourselves from them. But we continue to do the work of God even though we might not be able to do it in these big congregations where churches supposedly meet. We do it, the work of God, everywhere we are. When an individual comes into our house, when we are in the grocery store and meet someone, I've often spoken the word of God to that person. The word of God has not been stopped. The ministries of God have not been stopped. They continue to operate even when men say there are no apostles or prophets today. We continue to do what we're called to do. And in the end, Jesus comes and redeems the church from off this earth, those who are still living at the time he returns. The two things that have to happen before Jesus could return. One is the falling away of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the Antichrist moving into the churches. That had to happen before Jesus could return. And the second thing 
is the gospel would be preached all over the world before Jesus returns. We do that daily right now through internet, which goes all over the world. So the stage is set for the return of Jesus. And because we know the Bible, because we know what's going to happen at the end by reading the Bible, especially in Revelation 8, 9, and 16, the Great Tribulation. And we know at the end, God will destroy the heaven and the earth because we read what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we know what we're supposed to do, live in peace, which means take every concern to God in prayer daily. If you have anything you're concerned about, take it to God in prayer. Let your request be made known unto God. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding will then keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus the Word. So we are able to live on this earth in peace by connecting with God through prayer continually, especially if we're concerned about anything. And that is the thing that makes us worthy to escape that which is coming upon this earth. You'll find that in Luke 21. Thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.